Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, special healthcare series, episode two of five. So my name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. This Week in Voice is out of season. So season four ended uh, earlier this year. Season five starts up in the fall. But we wanted to take an opportunity to gather together thought leaders, pioneers, uh, luminaries working in the realm of voice and AI and modern healthcare to talk through a number of areas where this emergent technology is reshaping and redefining what healthcare is and, and what it means to, to uh, receive healthcare. Today's episode is all about the electronic health record, and we're pleased to have an all-star panel. Rushi, I'm going to start with you. Tell us who you are. Tell us who you're with. Tell us what you do. Perfect. Um, thanks, Bradley. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to meet the other panelists. Uh, excited for Voice and Health in just under a month. Um, so, yep, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm Rushi Ganmuki. Um, my background is in AI and machine learning. Uh, I am the CEO and founder of Bola AI. Um, what we do is we provide AI voice assistance um, for providers to help them document clinical procedures. Um, so right now, um, basically the old uh, stat is out there is that doctors can take around 50% of their time just interacting with the electronic health record. Um, so this is time consuming. It's not what they were trained to do and uh, they wanna be interacting with the patients. Um, so by using our service, they can uh, more seamlessly spend more, more of their time with patients um, and um, save time that way. Um, now, how we're different. There's a few, there's a lot of companies doing similar things out there uh, just because this is such a large problem. Um, so one, uh, we focus on structured data entry. So we don't do free form transcription. We really focus on the areas uh, where the data is highly structured, highly repetitive, um, and in doing that, we can get higher, uh, we can actually use the context awareness to get a much higher accuracy um, for the end user. Um, the second way is uh, we mainly focus on underserved markets. Um, so right now our primary market is in dental. Uh, we work with the uh, three or four largest uh, uh, players in that market. Um, and then, yeah, the third point is we like to focus on tasks that necessarily need to be done when the patient is in the room. Um, a lot of times the doctor notes or clinical notes can be done after the fact. Uh, but we focus on the use cases like dental where there's 400 values uh, set in around 10 minutes, uh, where there's no way that they're going to go home and remember those properly and enter them into the HR properly. So we focus on the tasks that need to be done uh, that are time critical, that either need to be done with the patient in the room or 30 minutes after the patient leaves. Thanks, Bradley. Rushi, no problem. Thank you for joining us. Next up, Scott Stevenson. Scott, say hello. Hello, I'm Scott Stevenson. I'm CEO and co-founder of DeepGram. I'm actually, I was a, phys a physicist before, uh, so I'm a scientist, um, but now uh, I work in AI building speech recognition systems that are uh, scalable and uh, reliable and can be done on-prem or in the cloud um, and really have a are integrating the new wave of deep learning into speech in a in a hundred percent deep learning um, way and that that gives you much better accuracy and uh, and privacy on that side so what DeepGram does is build those systems for enterprises and then uh, companies will build their product on top of DeepGram and uh, use this to power real-time speech recognition or uh, analysis of conversations after they've already happened in order to uh, fill out electronic health records or uh, just figure out what's going on in telehealth. And um, so we've been, uh, we've been around now for around five years. And so at this point, uh, we've, it, we were really at the beginning of this wave of uh, integrating DeepGram learning into speech, but uh, we're very differentiated on that side that everything we do is 100% deep learning uh, rather than using the old systems. And so it's generally just much more accurate. Scott, thank you for joining us. Our next guest is Miriam Paramore. Miriam, how are you? 
I'm well, thank you, Bradley. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. I so am. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, take take a minute. Tell us who you are. Tell us okay. who you're with. Tell us what you do. Okay, sure. I am the president of Optimize RX. We are a NASDAQ publicly traded company. We serve the healthcare ecosystem as a digital communication platform. So this is a great conversation to be part of since voice and AI is another enabler of communication. We connect the life sciences industry with the point of care and the life sciences industry with patients for a couple of reasons. We're focused on affordability and access to healthcare. We're focused on medication adherence and the overall patient experience. So using the EHR platform, which is you know, relevant to today's conversation, physicians, Rushi said it well, physicians spend way more time in the EHR than they would like. And it's about five hours a day that they're staring at their EHR. Sometimes the patient is in the room with them, sometimes not. Um, I've been in this industry for over 30 years and I've seen the various attempts at voice starting with dictation of notes. And most hospitals still have the old Lanier system where the doctors go to the, the wall and pull the phone off and dictate. And then there's somebody, you know, back in the background keying and double keying. And that's really still the norm. Um, there are a lot of, there is a lot of progress being made uh, with voice. And it, it's, it's nice to be here today to talk about it. But primarily what my company does is uh, liquefy the data that are in the silos between the life sciences industry, the information about the medications, their formulations, black box warnings, off-label expansion, clinical trials, or other type of necessary information that helps the doctor design a treatment program uh, for that patient during the, uh, in, in real time. So we sort of liquefy that and make it real time and um, I can talk a bit more about sort of how that's moving towards voice when we talk about uh, telehealth and some of the other emerging technologies that are taking hold now in this season of the pandemic. It's, it's driven a lot of in innovation. Um, so, yeah, that's what I do. And that's what we do. Miriam, thank you very much for joining us. So our next guest is Pat Williams of iScribe Health. Health. Pat, say hello. Hey, Bradley. Good morning or good afternoon, I guess, depending on where, where you are in the world. Thanks for having us. Um, I am the uh, co-founder and CEO of iScribe Health uh, based in Nashville, Tennessee. We, um, we're focused on solving physician burnout, which I think is, is you know, what, what most everybody that's on today's call is focused on. I think it's worth, you know, kind of the <laughs> sort of stating the Webster's you know, definition of what burnout is, which is, you know, long-term, unresolved, work-related stress that leads to cynicism, detachment, exhaustion, and a lack of a sense of personal accomplishment. And I think we can all agree that's not the type of physician that we want when we're in the healthcare setting. We want, obviously, engaged physicians who are able to listen, able to lean in, able to make good contact, eye contact uh, and provide that active listening that we all really, really want in that, in that intimate setting in, a, in an exam room or in a hospital setting. And so, that's what we're, we're focused on allowing physicians to do. We, we do that through the use of a, a very versatile mobile platform. We're, we're pretty focused at iScribe on high volume specialists and, and allowing them to be uh, utilize a tool that's much more usable, much simpler, much easier than the, the typical electronic health record. We let them utilize the combination of voice. We have a mobile platform that's deeply integrated with a variety of the EHR systems that are out there. And it just makes EHRs a much simpler, easier, uh, easier process as opposed to the traditional point and click that, that just drives drives physicians crazy. And so it's it's good to be here and look forward to uh, talking more about this big problem. Pat, thank you for joining us. So our final guest is Ricky Sahu of One Up Health. Ricky, say hello. Hey, how are you guys doing? Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, so I'm uh, Ricky Sahu. I'm the CEO and co-founder of One Up Health, and we're probably uh, we're a little bit more different from the rest of the uh, groups here. And we help healthcare organizations connect to electronic health records and build on a 
healthcare API platform based on a new standard called FHIR. So the reason why we're in the mix here is that we work with a bunch of third-party applications or vendors that are connecting to health systems and also now payers to help them implement uh, various solutions, including those in voice. And the way that I think this industry is going to move is, is that it will incorporate both voice and uh, digital records from the electronic healthcare record into the education of, you know, what actually needs to be transcribed or what actually needs to be uh, done for the patient's next, you know, best steps or to help augment the information that the provider already has in their head. And um, we are connected with about 10,000 health systems through new uh, regulations called Meaningful Use 3 via these FHIR APIs. And that data access is now going to expand to the payer segment as well, which is very interesting because then you will finally have kind of this combination of claims and clinical data in a single standard that can then be used by different applications downstream. Excellent. Ricky, thank you for joining us. Yep. So you're never going to get a better, smarter group of technologists focused on healthcare than this group right here. And, and I appreciate, uh, appreciate y'all joining us. So I want to start simply by asking, uh, and I'm going to go in reverse order from the introductions, by the way. So Ricky, I'm going to start with you uh, and work backward. Um, and then we'll reverse order going the other direction uh, after that. So uh, prior to the pandemic, <clears throat> you talk voice, you talk AI, you talk the electronic health record. And maybe it's me, maybe it's not, but it seemed like all the promise was there. Um, all the potential was there. All the interest was there. But it was this chorus line of but, 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 you know, but HIPAA, but this, but that. And uh, now it seems like maybe it's a combination of political will and, um, you know, whatever the cause is, there just seems to be some new urgency uh, to, to bring, to, to evolve the space. And my question for, for you, Ricky, and will be the same for everybody is, um, first of all, share with us how this pandemic has changed your organization, if it has change your focus, anything that anything about this that's changed with you. And then uh, your comments on uh, how what's happened with COVID-19, if you if you think it's accelerated adoption of voice and AI within the electronic health record, what you think the impact of this pandemic on the health the electronic health record has been. So the impact of the pandemic on your organization, the impact of the pandemic on the electronic health record in your estimation. Yep. Yeah, so it's definitely made a big impact. Um, what we have seen broadly is that health systems providers um, have a very different focus from what they did previously. Um, a lot of their elective care and surgeries have been suspended, you know, until after the pandemic. Um, but also, they now have a need to get. Uh, clinical data remotely in a way that they didn't have before uh, because a lot of members or patients are not going into the hospital because of you know things like telehealth that are supporting interactions between patients and providers. So what we've seen there is that um, a lot of the interesting um, vendors that they were thinking about using have now shifted to very a very focused set of telehealth and uh, I guess data automation, which does fall into voice. Um, but some of the specialists like, you know, cardiologists or things like that, that were dealing with elective surgeries that did use voice technologies are not really 
you know, doing much business today. So I think there has been a shift um, in the industry for sure. Uh, from the One Up Health perspective, we have also kind of a dual focus on health plans. So we've seen a lot of interest from those health plans continue, especially with the new CMS and ONC regulations, which require members to be able to get their data from these plans for the claim side. Um, and then on the clinical side from the EHR, uh, we have now seen a tremendous amount of interest grow in getting patient records from the EHR digitally, because previously uh, with things like uh, life insurance, for example, there were organizations that asked patients to go in to get a manual, you know, physical uh, in person. And now that can happen. And actually NPR had a, um, had a story recently about how organizations are reacting to COVID, how businesses are reacting to COVID. And they mentioned how Mass Mutual is using us to help patients get, uh, or individuals get life insurance, even though we can't be close to one another. So I think that uh, there has been a shift in that urgency wasn't there for some of the use cases, but I think for other use cases, it's definitely been reduced as well, just due to the natural shift in the industry. Excellent. Pat, your thoughts on uh, how the pandemic has impacted your organization, how the pandemic has impacted the, the evolution of the electronic health record? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, certainly, I think we, we would all agree. I mean, it's, there's been a been a major impact. You know, organizationally, thankfully, we were already a, a very virtual organization ourselves, and so you know we were able to to, to respond and react accordingly, just because we were, we were pretty used to that. I know a lot of a lot of organizations have struggled more than, than others who weren't already set up that way. Fortunately, we were. What what we're seeing, and again, I'll, I'm answering this through the lens of of you know, high volume specialists, particularly orthopedic organizations where most of our customers exist and, and what we're seeing there, you know, volumes are ramping back up here pretty quickly. Um, even in the midst of, you know, obviously we're still in the middle of the pandemic and sorting our way through that, especially in the Southeast though, we're seeing volumes, you know, come back a lot quicker than I think even a lot of other folks may have anticipated, especially in, in the Medicare population. Obviously, in states where electives have been, you know, or, or you know, restrictions on elective procedures have been lifted, and again, there's there's clearly an emphasis, you know, on on speed, efficiency, production, all non-essential, you know, resources that, that impact us directly, particularly, you know, in-room scribes, as an example. We're seeing a lot of a lot of emphasis on getting a lot of those folks, like physical scribes, that, that historically have been in the room to assist with documentation, those are being pushed out. And that's really starting to, to that's a tailwind for us in our business. We, we provide a virtual scribe option where the physician can literally just go into the room and either with an Apple Watch or, their, or a mobile app can record that interaction. And so I think we're, we're gonna see a real, uh, just a, a tremendous amount of growth in that space, in that field, just because again, there, there's there's so much fear, there's so much, so much emphasis on you know, removing anyone from that that exam room, which obviously are pretty close confines that don't need to be there, uh, which obviously shouldn't be, in our view, anyone other than the, the than the physician and the and the patient. So, we're we're seeing that that crank back up. I think that'll continue to happen uh, as we as we move forward. The challenge, of course, will just be, you know, as as cases continue to to spike in various areas, you know, how that impacts elective procedures. You know, and, and of course, you know, where, where that happens geographically uh, across the board. Excellent. Thank you, Pat. Miriam, same question for you. Um, your thoughts on how the pandemic has impacted your organization and how the pandemic has impacted one way or the other uh, the electronic health record. Yeah. Um, our company, like Pat's, was already virtual. We have our engineering teams actually are in Tel Aviv and in uh, Croatia. And then we have four physical sort of offices, um, Nashville, uh, Boston, New Jersey, and, and uh, Michigan, uh, Rochester, Michigan, outside of Detroit. Um, however, we have just an awful lot of travel. So we were easily able to just go fully virtual 
um, and zero impact. And what we saw was we had a real surge of energy within our company and an increase in innovation in our own, you know, team. We were able within a week to take our automated patient engagement um, tool, which uh, sends uh, targeted and, and HIPAA high trust compliant text to patients that opt in to push CDC um, alerts within the first, you know, I think it was like nine days after the CDC got online, we had that in the field. The following week, we started pushing uh, CDC information uh, snippets into the EHR so that the doctors could easily see the CDC alerts in their own workflow without having to come out. What you'll come to understand in the EHR market is very, very important for physicians not to have to go out of their workflow to do something else. So as you've heard folks on the phone talk about being integrated with EHRs or being a front end to an EHR, it's critical that that be easy. So we, we got that, mar that product in the field and pivoted. And then in our virtual care, our uh, solutions that have help that healthcare providers use, which has either a native SMS text front end or a mobile app with care coordinators on the back end, we had a behavioral um, health uh, site as well as a uh, cardiac rehab site. And we were able, uh, they, of course, their sites were shut down in terms of in-person visits for working with those clinicians. So we were able to pivot that to complete virtual. We already had built-in video um, capabilities within um, our tool set. So we were able to help our uh, customers pivot quickly there. And so for our business, because we're a digital communication platform for healthcare, you can, um, you can see that everything that, that stopped in person, for example, medical science liaisons or pharma reps going to hospitals and, and doctor's offices to educate them about the latest drugs or new formulations of drugs, they can't go in person anymore. And so our digital communication platform delivering that information in bite-sized consumable chunks um, when you can't have a person or our ability to uh, enable a video consult, um, all of that stuff just you know, really took off at a level that it hadn't before and very, very similar to uh, what happened with telehealth um, in general. So there's been, I'm, I'm very blessed to say, zero disruption to our business, no downsizing. You know, we've experienced extraordinary growth. Uh, like I said, we're public, so you can look at our numbers. And um, we, we've been a growing company anyway, but this has accelerated innovation in our, in, inside ourselves because we wanted to do something with our communication platform that could be helpful. So we did those things I just mentioned at pro bono basis. Um, but then also the, just the demand for our services, the recognition that this is a digital world and digital communication is how our healthcare ecosystem needs to be connected. And voice and deep learning and conversational AI, as you put it, is a piece of that uh, puzzle as a tool, just like video is. Um, so to, to some degree, I think video has killed voice with respect to, I think it's already jumped over voice in our industry with respect to capturing, you know, what's said and then interpreting that. But any of these tools that, that digest the spoken word, any of these tools that are, are focused on speech recognition, um, I think will continue to see a, a, a rise in adoption because I think we're now more open, we're being forced to uh, think about technology differently. And for me, that's very good because this is where, you know, I spend my, my life. No, that's excellent. And you're right. Just because, you know, we throw the word voice around doesn't mean it's not multimodal, doesn't have video in there and it, it, whatever ways we can integrate technology, you know, the better totally on that page. Scott, same question for you. Uh, impact of pandemic on your organization impact of the pandemic on the electronic health record in general? Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're a speech infrastructure provider and uh, we, we provide that to the collaboration platforms like, you know, meetings uh, companies and things like that, but also uh, to the medical industry and just all across the board, we see demand going up and um, that you can imagine why, Hey, you know, we're, uh, we're not having meetings in person anymore. It's through meetings, uh, um, uh, you know, through through 
voice or Zoom or others. And uh, the also now it's like, man, the emphasis on uh, automation because like resources for the medical transcription companies have gone down. Like their world has sort of been uh, shaken. Like it, it's uh, all across the world. Everybody is uh, working from home and trying to figure out how to do their virtual scribe job from home and things like that. And uh, that, that, that has definitely had a big impact. So, I mean, uh, COVID has changed things a lot. Uh, Previously there was already interest though. So this was, um, I like to think that it's uh, it, it didn't it, it, people weren't caught totally flat footed. Um, the companies were already doing some product development, um, but it, they were not stepping on the gas yet. They were they were testing things out. They were saying, hey, maybe we'll switch to this. Maybe in the next few years, it'll be like that, <laughs> maybe whatever. Um, but but now they're like, whoa, 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 we have to do this now. And we, we need to we need to start rolling this out because. Uh, I mean, even even where we are now, um, it's only a few months into um, into COVID, and uh, winter will come around. People expect that, hey, we're going to have to do this over again, etc. So it isn't just like a one time thing. And maybe maybe uh, everybody should be more um, flexible in the future and how their systems work. And so v- automation is a huge uh, component to that. And uh, telehealth is a huge component to that. And uh, there, there are things that you'll want to see your doctor in person for. That That is definitely true. But uh, many things you don't actually have to. But the, the problems that were in the way before were... Uh, mostly, mostly organizational and technological for that to happen. Um, and now it's just, you're, you're removing the roadblocks for that to happen. And so, um, for us as a company, we, we see growth, we see, we see an interesting effect that's happening though, is that there's so much demand that it's uh, also uh, hard to, um, for those companies that have to deal with this, uh, increased demand to say like, Hey, let's go build new projects because um, they're just trying to keep their company running um, because now they have like 10 times or 20 times as many users, you know. Um, but what I expect there is that, you know, uh, three, six months, a year from now, you're just going to see a huge infrastructure push and um, uh, you'll start to see a lot more products rolling out. Uh, you'll see uh, investment from the venture capital world that is already going into this. And it'll start to come to fruition in a year. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it, it, it has impacted our business a lot. Excellent. And <clears throat> Rushi, same question for you. How the pandemic has impacted your organization, how the pandemic has impacted the electronic health record in your estimation. Sure thing. Um, so, yeah, so for Bola AI, um, yeah, it was a big change. I mean, uh, we moved to completely virtual. Uh, we're all based in Boston, a few blocks from one another, but still virtual. Um, we were used to being that startup where we all gathered around the table to check out bugs or push new features. Um, so definitely a learning curve for us. Um, but it's worked out great. The team's been terrific, really risen to the occasion. Um, as well as we've grown, I think, uh, I think 2.5 or 3x headcount um, oh, since March, since this shutdown, actually. So onboarding new employees who you've never met is a, is a strange feeling for us, but we're building in the socialization, we're building in the morale boosters and everything's going great. Um, and really for, for on the product side, um, we split it into two phases. One was the, uh, the lockdown phase, right? It's the phase where all the offices we work with, they're closed. Um, so what do we do? And what we did is just double down on product uh, as any tech startup would do. Um, we built in uh, what we call a touchless experience where uh, the provider can just walk into the room, say BOLA start, uh, do the examination, say BOLA stop, walk out, all without touching the computer. Um, and then the, the second part is, yeah, the comeback. It's the offices opening up again. And I think uh, Pat mentioned this as well. We're, we're seeing the V curve, that they were quick to shut down, but very quick to open up uh, and get to full capacity. I think within a few weeks, they were at 60% capacity, and now uh, they're teetering on 90% capacity. Um, and the, yeah, the pull from the product from the market has been huge. Um, I don't think it's anything new. It, this is just really catalyzed and accelerated a lot of things in the pipeline. Um, just being able to have one fewer person in the, uh, in the office, uh, sorry, in the, uh, in the operatory, one, uh, and then two, save on um, just the PPE. PPE costs have gone through the roof. Uh, and you're supposed to change the PPE every time you interact with the computer. Um, so on PPE uh, costs alone, um, something like our product makes sense. Um, so uh, a lot of positives there, um, and it, it's gone nicely. 
Um, now, in terms of, yeah, the electronic health record and medical in general, um, I think Pat mentioned this as well. I think it's, it's, we're trending towards less is more. Uh, less people uh, actually coming in doing telehealth, um, less people in the operatory while they're doing work. So uh, removing that scribe, removing that need for the scribe, that extra person that may make the patient a little uncomfortable, that uh, just causes another source of error. Um, and then along those lines, so yeah, so telehealth as well. Um, and then along those lines, we've seen a lot of uh, movement to having the patient actually in the clinic or in the operatory as uh, little as possible. So if they, instead of sitting in the waiting room and reading the magazines and waiting uh, for, their, for their appointment, they can actually do the intake forms at home or in the car. Uh, we've seen things like that pick up. So basically the whole trend around just getting the patient in, having the fewest people there, getting them out. Um, I think that's, that's definitely a trend we expect to see continue as well into the future. Excellent. So thank all five of y'all for that. Uh, some, some great comments there. I, um, I think less is more is a good phrase for what we're going through right now. And, you know, you look at other sectors, you look at um, retail, uh, where businesses have been hammered and there's been starts and stops and some really unfortunate things that have taken place. Um, you've seen some people throw their hands up and say, I am not participating anymore. You, you've seen some different companies uh, like conferences, talk about live events, uh, you know, all sorts of conf conferences and industry gatherings, small and large, uh, haven't been able to meet. And some have publicly stated like, very early into the pandemic, uh, Tim O'Reilly with O'Reilly Media, it's a company I follow pretty closely, said, wrote an open letter, this was like in March, saying, not only are we not doing live events now, we're not ever doing them again. And they, they laid off their entire team and said, we're not ever doing in-person events again. Now, that's probably, you know, time will tell, but that was probably a little dramatic, but we'll see, I don't know. You've seen people across every sector say I'm out, I'm done, I'm not participating anymore. So this less is more thing is something we've had to embrace from a human capital standpoint. Fortunately, in the healthcare profession, it doesn't seem like we've seen that much of it. My sister-in-law is a pediatric oncologist, which is a profession that I think all of us would say we wish didn't exist. Um, the, the stuff that she ha has to do, the, the paperwork and the, the bureaucratic garbage um, you know, for years, it seems like we've been hearing constantly for years, this is going to get better, this is going to get better. And that's what I love about the work that all five of y'all are doing is that the, the, the promise it heralds is that we'll, we'll get to that point. And I think the comments that y'all made uh, just now sort of um, illuminate that. My next question for you, and Rushi, I'm going to start with you and work the other direction, is give me one challenge uh, you know, Scott actually spoke about how roadblocks are getting cleared out of the way uh, at a rapid pace. Give me one challenge, one hurdle, one roadblock that still persistently sits in the way of greater evolution, greater progress for the electronic health record. Sure thing, Bradley. Um, so, yeah, I've, I think I have an interesting one. Um, so what we like to call is uh, we like to call it the forget it moment. Uh, now, the doctors may use uh, different terms, but that's the PG version of it. Um, so basically, whenever you're building a product, you're always trying to get them, the user to a wow moment, right? Uh, if you build a new app, you're trying to get them to that moment where they, they look at it and they're like, oh, my God, this thing can do this. Here's my credit card. I'm a lifetime customer. That's the goal of the product, and that's what you're trying to find. Um, with voice technology, it's actually a little different. Um, the promise of voice is so high that if you deliver on that, that itself is the wow moment. Um, so it's almost the opposite problem. You're trying to get them away from the forget it moment. And the forget it moment is when the accuracy is off or it's not writing into the EHR properly and they, the provider literally like rips off the microphone, throws it in the drawer, shoves the door shut, uh, shoves the door, drawer shut and goes back to the old way of doing things. That's the forget it moment. Um, and there's a lot of just annoyances, right, that can come up in a voice pro product. The accuracy, not knowing how to say things, um, integration into the EHR, all of these things lead to the forget it moment. 
Um, so we've really positioned the product to avoid that forget it moment. Um, and a lot of that has to do with, I mean, voice is hard, voice is hard. So uh, there's no search menu, there's no help menu. How do you get help? How do you learn which commands it can do, which it can't? Um, all of these questions um, uh, are things that need to be solved. Um, and one thing we've really focused on, and it's uh, a less, a less uh, or a more forgotten part of the customer journey is the onboarding. And um, doing things in onboarding to make the customer comfortable with the product, understand what it can do, understand its limitations, uh, and make those abundantly clear uh, will help voice and healthcare going forward. Excellent. And I appreciate you calling it the forget it moment, by the way. Can you keep the show, uh, you keep the show watchable? Thank you. Uh, uh, Scott, same question for you. Uh, despite the progress we've made, what's one roadblock that still sits in the way of greater adoption, greater progress with technology in the EHR? Well, I, I really re, uh, like what uh, Rushi said for sure about the the training side and, you know, getting the product to the point where it just, you know, like actually does what you expect it to, <laughs> you know, that that is uh, that is a really big thing. But uh, one of the um, impediments to uh, to getting that working and also just getting broader adoption is uh, the infrastructure that that's in place. So um, uh, the how do you put a secure uh, microphone in the room and have everybody okay with it? Have it be um, uh, set up uh, in in examination rooms across the country and have the infrastructure in order to actually process all of that and do the automated um, uh, EHR entry. Um, that side, uh, we've we've seen this in other areas as well. Uh, by the way, so like in telecom, uh, in call centers and things like that, they also have a similar problem where they have a more uh, antiquated system. And uh, in order to get uh, the new technology in there, you have to upgrade it. Um, and this is one of the, the things that I uh, brought up earlier that like, hey, some roadblocks are being removed. Um, that was a really, really big one. Uh, it, it, there, it, people kind of wanted like the, the silver bullet that like, hey, everybody could use it and just switch it on right now. And it's like, ah, you probably need more infrastructure. Um, and it's, it's not a lot, but you have to like sit down and actually do it, get it vetted and install it. And then, um, and then go through that training process and vetting process with the, with the software. So I would say, you know, the infrastructure stands in the way, the, the hardware in the room to capture the audio, uh, well, um, the, uh, the, just the devices that you're using. Um, if it, it doesn't have to be in the, in the examination room, it could be in other instances, but the, the really all, most of these interfaces were designed for consumer before they were, they were designed, they were Alexa, Google assistant, et cetera. Uh, and quite frankly, this is, this is a double, double-edged sword. It's great in a lot of ways that people have gotten used to Alexa and Google assistant and, and that sort of thing. But it, 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 it sort of, it, it spurs development on the consumer side, but when you need it on, on this more professional side, uh, there's still more work to do there. So I, I think infrastructure on the hardware side and also just getting your software infrastructure in place is a big impediment. Excellent. Miriam, same question for you. Despite all our progress, what's one roadblock that in your estimation sits squarely in the way of greater evolution, greater progress with technology in the EHR? Well, I'll give you two. <laughs> yes, for one, I'll give you two. So um, you don't sound Southern. You have a great radio voice. I sound fairly Southern. I'm pretty frustrated with just Siri and Alexa, who she sparked up just to turn things I'm talking to her. Because sometimes I say simple things like play Tom Petty and she'll not get me. I'm like, well, that's not good enough. That's a forget it moment for me. And then the Siri, I think, is stupid half the time because I ask her something she ought to know. And I'm like, eh. you know, I could find that on the Internet in two seconds. So. Um, I'm not sure voice is as crisp as we would like it to be as consumers to that earlier point. And when you're talking about treatment and potentially life and death situations, there is way more on the line than Tom Petty's, you know, greatest hits. Um, and uh, the other, so, so that gives rise to my second one, which I would say, which is the risk. 
So providers have an enormous amount of risk and liability. And so this is one of the impediments that keeps, from, keeps them from feeling comfortable. Scott brought up a lot of great examples that are sort of socio-behavioral dynamics. Like I don't, I don't want a microphone in the room with my provider if I'm in there with my you know, gynecologist. You know, so, um, you know, these are these are just challenges, I think, that are part of being human. But I would say that that voice, the quality of voice recognition that takes into account accents and languages and translations and that kind of stuff. And then the risk that providers bear in treating patients and wanting to make sure that that permanent document that other providers will refer to when treating that patient is solid and very, very accurate. It becomes a compliance risk, it becomes a legal risk, it becomes a malpractice risk. So these are the things that um, I think are impediments along with others, which are really great points. All overcomable though, and very, very interesting to me to see how quickly we can get past those things to get the confidence of that professional healthcare provider user versus a consumer user. Excellent, yeah, and, and uh, people tell me I have a great face for radio. I still haven't figured out what they mean by that. Um, so I, I appreciate that. Uh, also, I was gonna say um, that, uh, talking about Siri, so uh, my company was part of a, um, uh, a study. Uh, we, we did a um, study for, that was published in a publication called MedTech Boston that was a year or so ago uh, in conjunction with the Voice of Healthcare Summit, which is coming up. And um, uh, the basic thing with that was said all these different terms to all the major voice assistants and basically assessed how good are the major voice assistants at assisting with basic healthcare needs. And one of the queries that we asked all the voice assistants were were several queries related to alcoholism. And... um, I think if you said, Siri, I'm an alcoholic, something along the lines of, if you, if you tell Siri, I'm an alcoholic and I need help, or I need help with alcohol, uh, Siri's response, and I'm not joking, was, I'm not going to call a cab for you. <laughs> and we documented that, yeah, in the, uh, in the uh, study, and they changed that, I believe, quickly after we published that. By That's the way. funny. I thought you were going to say, she said, well, I'll... Uh pull up drizzly for you oh no it was was incredible yeah it was pretty pretty heinous but uh yeah to your point uh there's even now there's still work that needs to be done even as far as these mainstream voice assistants have gone um pat same question for you the uh, with all the progress we've made with the ehr and technology what's one roadblock that still sits in the way yeah, you know, I, I think it sounds like obviously every, everybody on this call is, is in the healthcare industry. It sounds like, you know, have been for, for quite some time. So I think everyone would agree to a certain degree. And people ask us this all the time, you know, who at iScribe Health, you know, who's our biggest competitor? And I'm, I'm always, my first answer is always status quo and just change and convincing physicians <laughs> to try something new is is an immense challenge, and I'm sure it's something that everybody on this call can relate to, you know, and it's because, as was stated previously, there's been so many forget-it moments, right? I mean, the EHR, uh, you know, battle for, that was, you know, 10 years long and is, and is still going on, you know, there's been there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears have been shed over the EHR is still happening, you know, the, I live in Nashville, you know, Vanderbilt's experience of implementing their EPIC system was was horrendous. I think they're in good shape now, which is part of the process and many, as many examples like that littered across the industry. And so, you know, convincing physicians to, to, to do something different is always going to be a challenge because they've, they've all had that experience of, oh boy, here we go again. You know, the, the, the one, the one more thing or the next thing that's supposed to work. But I will say, you know, technology has advanced so far, so fast, you know, voice recognition has come light years from where it was even just a couple of years ago. Uh, Cloud computing, all all the things that that are now at at our fingertips and our disposal from an innovation standpoint to deliver 
that's only going to improve you know, with AI and machine learning and, and, and so on and so forth. So I think that you know the the potential is clearly there, but that will always be, I think, a challenge is just you know convincing that physician who who has had that that poor experience in their past is always going to be a be a deterrent to a certain degree. Excellent. And Ricky, same question for you. A roadblock that sits in the way of greater evolution and progress for the EHR. Yeah, I think um, the, the good way to think about that is to imagine what the end goal is. And for me, that is, or what I believe it is, is uh, the best EHR is the EHR you don't have to use. And um, you know, no one wants to actively enter information in here. You don't want to have to document ICD codes, et cetera. And voice is going to be a major player in getting us to a state where you don't actually have to use an EHR. And instead, you know, it can passively record, augment, tag, codify everything that you're doing in an actual interaction with a you know, patient on the other side without a screen in between you. And, um, you know, to get there, there's quite a bit that needs to be done. Uh, a lot of the other folks mentioned the, the improvements in voice, but I think there are also major improvements that need to be made with EHR interoperability and the ability to get data into the EHR in a standardized manner, just because you're not using the EHR in the future doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. You still want all of this data in there so that it can be used to train models to automate um, reporting back to you know thing, organizations like the CDC or to payers or to you know government for reimbursement, etc. That all needs to be in there. But also, you know, in addition to reporting, you want to be able to run analytics for population health use cases. And right now, the state of the EHR is pretty fragmented by vendor in terms of how they've implemented it and how, in terms of how they've codified data and getting that all standardized so that you can ask the same question in Epic or Cerner or Meditech or whatever and get the same expected response out uh, is, is something that we're you know, really deep in uh, you know, thought and action on. And I think that's, that's a really big challenge that hopefully, you know, the industry can solve. Excellent. So all, all five great, great comments across the board. We're going to close with putting on the Nostradamus hat, get your crystal ball out. And in the interest of time, give me one sentence. And Ricky, I'm going to start with you and work backward to conclude the show here. Um, give me one sentence on a trend that you expect to see play out over the second half of 2020, July 1st was just uh, a week ago. So we're, believe it or not, it feels like the first half of the year was millennia long in length. Uh, but here we are in the second half of the year. Give me one sentence with one trend that you expect to see play out regarding healthcare technology and the EHR over the second half of 2020 into 2020, 2021. Yeah, so I think that... Um the EHRs and other platform organizations are going to start creating an unbundled set of apps that run on this common platform, which will be Fire. And we'll, we're, we're already seeing the beginnings of that now, and we'll definitely see it play out next year. Excellent. Pat, give me one sentence. Uh, Nostradamus hat on. Give me one trend you expect to see play out the rest of the year. <laughs> one sentence. Um boy, how about, uh, I would say buckle up. <laughs> it's going to continue to be uh, a heck of a ride here to the remainder of the year, particularly with uh, our election coming up. However, I expect uh, things to be smoother than they were in the first half of the year. And I think innovation is going to continue to, to just to create tons of opportunities in, in the industry. Okay. All right, Miriam, same question for you. Nostradamus hat on, crystal ball out. Give me one trend you expect to see play out over the second half of the year with regards to healthcare, technology, the EHR. Telehealth, telehealth, telehealth. 
virtual care is here to stay and digital communication is going to continue to accelerate. Excellent. Scott, same, same for you. What, what's a trend you expect to see play out over the second half of the year? Miriam stole what I was going to say, but telehealth big time. Um, but I, I think, you know, Pat and Miriam and, and I are on a pretty good wavelength here with the uh, accuracy side. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll lay off telehealth and say like, hey, accuracy is, uh, you know, because of like the work that we're doing at DeepGram and other companies that are working on accuracy and how quickly it's working, um, you're, you're going to see uh, – the way that it's going to manifest itself is uh, uh, scribes getting better and the notes that they take more detailed uh, because they will have more automation helping them. And so basically more detailed notes that are better because accuracy has gotten better uh, on the automation side. So I think that's going to come out um, in the next half year. Yeah. Excellent. Rushi, last word, a trend that will that you expect to see play out over the second half of the year into the first part of next year. Yeah, I think I'll borrow from one of my earlier answers. I think it's the less is more. Um, it's patients in uh, the clinic for less time, uh, which can be done via telehealth. It's uh, providers having fewer people in the clinic as well. Um, just that reduction and that streamline um, in healthcare. And yeah, the EHR is the tool to achieve that. Excellent. Rushi, Scott, Miriam, Pat, Ricky. I appreciate all of y'all setting your time aside. What a great conversation. Thank you for being willing to share not only your time, but your expertise with me and the audience as well. It's greatly appreciated. Perfect. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, this week, You got it. For this week in voice, special healthcare series between season four and season five, episode two, if you're listening or if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. And until next time. <laughs>